Some listeners may remember today's guest from the Your Rights at Work campaign leading up to the 2007 election. He coordinated the campaign in our electorate of Macquarie. He's Daniel Walton, who's now National Secretary of the Australian Workers' Union. Welcome to Rights, Rorts and Rants, Dan. G'day, Deb. Good to see you. <laughs> Could we start by explaining to listeners which industries members of the Australian Workers' Union work in? So who does the AWU represent? Yeah, so can I just start off by saying um, g'day to everyone in the uh, mountains, a place uh, very near and dear to my heart, given a huge amount of time uh, spent, probably too much time spent uh, <laughs> during uh, during that campaign. You got to know um, our winters? I, I got to know the winters uh, particularly well, and I think I could drive uh, from Lapson to Bathurst with my eyes closed and stuff and make it there. <laughs> But in terms of the AW, um, we're known as a general union, that is a broad union with lots of um, different areas that we cover. And so we look after people in um, heavy industries, so energy intensive trade exposed industries like steel, aluminium, glass, cement, chemicals. Um, we also look after people that work in quarrying and civil infrastructure. So a lot of the road construction, bridge construction, tunnel construction. Uh, we also look after workers in health in Queensland, retail in far north Queensland, Everything in association with agriculture, including fish farming down in Tassie, um, through to workers, um, unfortunately being exploited in our fruit and vegetable industry. Uh, we look after local government in areas, metalliferous mining, so all non-coal mining uh, we look after, and all the hydrocarbons, oil and gas industry. Um, there are a whole lot of others. We've got old coverage in rabbit trappers and others, but uh, not as relevant today <laughs> as it once were. I think you covered me when I worked for the Birdsville Hotel in the 1980s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, would I be right in saying that many of those industries face skill shortages um, exacerbated by the, the pandemic? Well, I think in a lot of those industries, we have seen, certainly across the pandemic, a lot of our industries continued operating. And they in certain industries people managed to switch to work from home um, throughout that period. Uh, for a lot of our members, COVID changed their entry and exits at work, how they contacted people and how they went about their normal business, but their general production remained the same throughout that period. What's happened through the last number of years is the fact that the young apprentices and traineeships around them have fundamentally dropped off. Right. That companies are not making those investments to try and develop the skills of the future. Um, and as a consequence, they've grown more and more addicted to finding sources of temporary labour, um, particularly mm -hmm. migrants, a lot of students, working holiday makers, um, to try and come over and fill those positions. The other big one that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of is labour hire. Um, so instead of putting in place people in secure employment, that is full-time, part-time employment, it's putting in place contractor arrangements with labour hire workers to fill those gaps. Right. That's actually affecting my former job. I'm retired now, but I used to work for Centrelink and Medicare and they're putting labour hire even into government positions like that. Yeah. And it's um, it's not just bad for the workers, it's also bad for the people that they're trying to serve as well. So. well absolutely. I mean, what you know, Deb, is when you're in that job on a permanent basis, you develop the skills and understanding of the processes to be able to deliver a better service. Yeah. And same applies in a, say, in a manufacturing operation, that you develop your skills and experience to get more efficient um, in terms of making what you make. Um, if you have people coming in on a short and temporary basis constantly, if you're not developing the skills for people to do that work, you end, with, end up with an inferior outcome and it yeah. only serves to benefit 
one group, uh, which, you know, it's obviously something that we've been pointing to for a while. Yeah, less accountability as well. If something goes wrong, well, the person that got it wrong probably doesn't work there anymore. So mm. There's calls by the employers represented by the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry to bring in 200,000 workers from overseas to fill, um, fill a shortage. I believe 300,000 have dropped out of the workforce since the pandemic. So what's your view on that? So at the moment in Australia, in the last three months, there's a little over 300,000, so 330,000 Australian workers have dropped out of the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've also know through the ABS that there's around 1.9 million people looking for additional hours. And so it goes to the point we said before about sort of insecure, precarious work. So at the same time that's in place, we've got a migration plan um, that says that we're going to allow a certain number of migra- uh, migrants to come into the country over a period of time. Yeah. Um, migration is a, a good thing. I'm not opposed to it. In fact, I, I sit on the board of Migration Council of Australia. What we do know, both in that capacity and my union capacity, is our migration programs that we've known in the 70s and 80s and 90s were people coming over to fill genuine gaps, to be able to develop their um, skills and set up routes in Australia to be part of our community. What's shifted now is the temporary nature of it. That is workers coming over on short-term visas to fill gaps, people coming over as students taking on additional work or working holiday makers, backpackers, working on 88 day programs to fill those gaps. Now that doesn't lead to good outcomes. What it does is led to wage suppression. It's also led um, to a lot of exploitation which fundamentally damages brand Australia. That is, workers coming from overseas being exploited and going back to tell their horrific stories. And right now, despite that, despite the pandemic, despite the huge numbers of job losses, the Australian Chamber of Commerce, which is essentially the boss's lobby, has said they want to increase by an additional 200,000. Oh, okay. On top of the migration programs we've already got in place. So permanent migration is a better option than temporary migration for the reasons you've just outlined. And you mentioned earlier, you also mentioned this in your recent article in the Daily Telegraph, that the ACCI have no interest in developing and maintaining the skills of Australian workers. And that's been aided and abetted by the government's erosion of TAFE. So how bad is it? And instead of complaining when there's a skill shortage, shouldn't employers take active steps to be part of the solution and, and actually train people? Absolutely. I think the, you know, I've spoken to a number of companies and I've spoken to a number of business groups and I've spoken to the government since I wrote those articles. And the bit that I continue to say is we, we've got this thing in place called labour market testing, which is essentially going through to do an analysis to work out where genuine shortages exist. So where we do that and we find shortages, we say, okay, we've got a gap. We can't find uh, locals to fill those roles. The next sensible step would be, okay, we need to have those filled so we can open up some migration opportunities. But I say that it should only be on the condition that companies are also equally investing in developing skills to fill those roles. Yeah. Because if they fail to do that, all we essentially do is perpetuate this cycle, and I sort of call it the human centipede approach, um, which is you don't train or develop anyone, then you've got shortages in filling those roles. Mm -hmm. You run off to the government and say, we need more more migrants. Migrants come in and fill those gaps, and then you say, we don't need to train anyone for a while. The, The country grows, the economy grows, 
then all of a sudden you need more people again. And then you say, oh, well, there's no workers again to fill those roles. So we need to have a look to migrants again. And so it just continues to go around and around in a circle and it just doesn't provide good outcomes. There are so many young Australians looking for work and for opportunities. There are a lot of Australians who are smashed by COVID who want decent jobs. It's just that business needs to get smarter, less greedy to find those solutions. Right. A point um, made by, uh, we have bush walks on Thursday and we have some good discussions uh, in those walks. And a point made by a president is that that's also de-skilling the countries that those people come from. We're actually, it's almost a parasitic relationship where another country trains their workers and then we take those skills out of that country and exploit those workers. Do you have any views on that at all? Yeah, I think um, uh, one of the interesting factors that I heard, take construction as an example. Uh, Someone said to me the other day, there's a global shortage of around 3 million construction workers. So nearly every economy in the world, every nation in the world, I should say, has been smashed by COVID. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, their governments are investing. And where you get some of the biggest bang for bucks is in construction. That is where you invest dollars in the multiplier effect on job creation is significant, particularly in manufacturing. And so governments around the world are spending big on infrastructure. And as a consequence, there's a big demand. So when, when the borders open up, um, naturally, if one country had more infrastructure initiatives on foot, it would attract a lot of workers from overseas. The difference will be our borders opened up. Um, I think we're allowed arrivals. They do open up on Monday, I think it is, um, Deb, on Monday, 1 November, that we're not necessarily going to have all the workers looking to Australia. There's going to be a lot of construction workers looking around the world for those opportunities. And so it's a bit of a different dynamic to what we saw before. If companies had a genuine foresight, they would have been training those apprentices and developing those apprentices. Aviation, for example, I looked after that. We've got members that work in aviation as um, maintenance engineers. And um, when I started representing our members there, the intake for apprentices was plus or minus about 300 apprentices a year um, that they would take on as the intake and develop them, uh, develop them through. Before the pandemic hit, that had dropped down less than 50. Um, and again, it just goes to show that those big companies that used to have solid training programs in place are just dropping them off in favor of trying to find alternative solutions where there is someone already trained or has got the capacity well you can't find that in australia look overseas and that's what's been happening just a point you made earlier as well about people dropping out of the workforce i read recently that even though the unemployment rate looks good or depends on your definition of good but it, it doesn't look too bad it's actually um, a bit of a faulty picture in that the people dropping out of the out of the workforce. So those three hundred and thirty thousand people that you referred to before aren't actually counted as unemployed because they're not in not actively. They've actually dropped out of looking for work. Um, so it's a bit of a dodgy dodgy stat there. It's a couple of strange things about how um, how someone is calculated as being employed. There's obviously employment, underemployment as well. I mean, I think the big one for me is for the number of people who they say are employed, how many Australians are looking for more hours? Yeah. Um, 
And that's quite telling. There's, you know, as the ABS publishers, around 1.9 million workers are looking for more hours. And so to me, that says people are filling short-term temporary roles, casual labour hire roles, and looking for more substantive work. Mm. Um, and that's a that's a big driver. And the one hour a week thing, well, that's an international standard. So people often mm. criticise that, that that's, that's something that's, um, unless the international standard changes, that's not going to change. Yep. Is there any final points you want to make? Well, I think, um, you know, particularly for everyone up in the mountains, when we went through the pandemic as a country, we realised how dependent we were on bringing in a lot of products and services from overseas. And when our supply chains were cut off, where aeroplanes stopped flying, um, and when the global shipping lanes um, got jammed up, our shelves ran empty. And we didn't have the capacity to continue making the products that we do. The big lesson out of that is we need to get more self-reliant and um, uh, and build our sovereign capability to make sure that it, at any point in time, we've got the crucial things we need to keep the country going. Now, that still resonates strongly mm-hmm. with Australians. All the polling says that, except our governments, our particularly our state and federal governments, New South Wales and federally, are not doing anything to address that. And so the problem about migration, temporary migration, um, and the issue about COVID to me overlap. That is, we need to be developing the skills, training young Australians, developing older Australians who are transitioning out of industries into new industries, and providing them pathways to work into those areas where that we need to make sure they operate so that come hell or high water, we ever have another yeah. co- another uh, pandemic again, that we don't suffer the same problems that we did before. And I think, you know, for me, if we're able to achieve that, then frankly, I think the country will be in a much better place and our members will have much more secure jobs as a consequence. Great. Okay, thanks, Dan. Thanks for your Cheers. time. You too, Deb. Good to see you. Thank you. Catch up.